From the studios of the Private Client Network in Midtown Manhattan, welcome to Luxury on Location. This dynamic podcast features conversations with luxury realtor Kevin Snedden, founder of the Private Client Network at Compass and its Private Client Network partners. In this, our fifth episode of season two, Kevin will be speaking with Kevin Caulfield, our Private Client Network partner in Boston. Kevin is a top luxury real estate broker in Boston, and here's why. Consistently ranked in the Wall Street Journal's The Thousand and Boston Magazine's top producers, Kevin has built a business around real relationships and an unending obsession with success for his clients. In 2016, Kevin moved to Compass to give his clients a smarter, more intuitive real estate experience, a move which has led to the substantial growth of this business. And in case anyone's counting, Kevin has brokered over $1 billion in real estate sales during his career, over $200 million in 2021 alone. What we admire most about Kevin is his drive, his client focus, and his overall commitment to his craft. We are so fortunate to have Kevin in our private client network, and we are delighted to have him as our featured guest on Luxury on Location. Hello, Kevin. Hello. How are you? Welcome to Luxury on Location. I am well. I'm well. Thank you very much for having me. Our pleasure. So it would be helpful if you could take our listeners through your overall background. My background. So I am originally from Boston area. I grew up in Hyde Park, which is the southernmost town in the city of Boston. It's not Boston proper, but it is part of Boston. I grew up there, went to Boston Latin for a couple of years, went to private high school outside of, just outside the city, and then ended up at Boston College. And while I was at Boston College, I was playing hockey. We had some good teams there. Was drafted by the Washington Capitals. So played a few years after, after college, and then got right into real estate when I stopped playing. So it's been over, I think it's been 20, 22 years now working here. My offices have been primarily in the back bay. When when I first stopped playing, I started a, a smaller kind of boutique firm with a couple guys that I had been in real estate with while I was still playing. And from there, I've kind of bounced up and down Newbury Street. I mean, that's what Newbury Street is. It's high-end retail and it seems like, you know, some restaurants and tons of real estate offices. And so I've worked on, over the 22 years, I've worked on many different blocks. Worked at Coldwell Banker for a number of years, worked at a smaller boutique, and then ended at Compass, or still at Compass. So it's been a wild ride, and it seems crazy that I'm saying it's 22 years. Wow, yeah, time flies. So you just had a thing for real estate even while you were playing professional hockey? Yeah, so, you know, when I was at Boston College, I would stay there through the summer. So we would take classes in the summers to lighten the load a little bit during the season, And we would train in the mornings and have classes kind of at night. And we had this little gap of time that was, you know, four to six hours where you could do something. So the first couple of years, I, you know, guys would go caddy or do whatever they were doing. If they were whatever sort of jobs they were running around doing. And and I had a friend who was in the rental business. And so I started to talk to him about it. And I said, you know, what is this all about? And at Boston College, your junior year, you typically only get three years of housing. So junior year, you've got to go off campus. And these houses were renting for 
sometimes you get 10 to 12 kids in a house and these things would rent, you know, in a matter of hours when they became available. I started to talk to my friend who was doing it and I was like, talk to me about this real estate thing. Like, what are you doing? And he's like, you know, are you meeting people? Are you touring some real estate? And then we're signing the, we're, you know, putting the paperwork together for the leases, doing the credit checks and everything. And I'm like, oh, it doesn't sound like it's, it's that hard. I think I can do this. And so <laughs> I went in and, you know, obviously learned that there was a lot more to it. It's, it's a lot more relationship-based and I started to do that between workouts and classes. And like my first couple summers doing it, I was a junior, I think sophomore and junior in college. And I was making 25, 30,000 a summer doing rentals, which wasn't bad. So I kind of liked it. I, you know, we were meeting people, not only that were going to BC, but whether it was BU, Northeastern, Harvard, MIT. So you met a, a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds. And that part of the job was I, I think probably what I liked most, you know, just making at the time was making a lot of new friends too. So it was, it was a good job while I was there. And then as I was playing post-college, you know, it was the same type of thing. We would skate, work out, and then I'd have the afternoons. And so I just kept doing it and then kind of transitioned from doing rentals into sales. You know, some of my peers were buying their first condo. I'd work with them on that and just kind of snowballed from there. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you had a network around you established through hockey, and you're obviously a, a competitive person, which is a good trait to have in the real estate arena, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, network around, you know, with hockey, but also just a network in and around Boston. Like, my both my parents come from big families and I had spent, like I said, the majority of my time within city limits. So knew a lot of people there, knew a lot of people from BC and, you know, was able to really expand that network and grow that network. And it was obviously a little bit of a learning curve in terms of figuring out what each market was like and trying to really get educated there. But once, once I was able to get my feet under me. I mean, you know, I could tap into that network and speak confidently about what was going on in the marketplace, you know. Right. To your point about having a, a deep network, you know, having grown up in the Boston area, it's a different experience. You know, so many people go to places like the Hamptons and LA and other markets to sell real estate. You know, they sort of migrate to these places and then they sell real estate. But when you're out with somebody looking at real estate and that person grew up in that market, it's a different experience. You just are part of the fabric of the community and it's just a different level of guidance. So I could see how you use that to your advantage in Boston. Oh, 100%. I mean, knowing where to go to dinner or like certain things within each neighborhood or even Back then, there was no ways, so knowing how to get around traffic with local knowledge was um, that all played into into my hand and, and was a big benefit in, in terms of getting people acclimated here, you know? Yeah, I can see that. So let's transition into the market. Why don't you take our listeners through the Boston real estate market? So the market here, it's really changed tremendously over the last 10 years. I mean, there was a time where if you hit a thousand a foot in Boston, that was a big number. And now we're seeing numbers, you know, reach as high as four and 5,000 a foot on some of the new development that's going on in the city. And it's really across the board. I mean, you know, we've seen Boston Seaport really come out of, uh, out of the ground in the last, you know, call it 10 to 15 years, which is 
the 33-acre parcel on the waterfront, walking distance to the financial district, that until they really started to the master plan of developing that, you know, there was really not much down there, but a couple of restaurants. And when you see the snapshot, the seaports really come a long way in that period of time. But when you see the year over year snapshots of the seaport, you realize how quickly all of this stuff has gone up. You know, we've seen a lot of commercial, retail, and obviously residential towers go up there and it's been, and it's become a really vibrant place to be in Boston and it, it only made sense because it activated the waterfront that we have there which is if you look at basic real estate principles it's surprising that it, it took as long as it did to get that off the ground interesting so what was the covid impact on Boston I imagine people that were living in the city might have wanted to move out to the suburbs like what was like the market shift driven by covid? Yeah, I think COVID, it put a lot of things on pause. I mean, I think if you really think about the impacts of COVID, we do get a lot of empty nesters that come into the city after their their kids are grown. During COVID, you had a lot of those grown kids, whether they were college-aged or just young professionals that were going back home. And there was really no reason to come into the city at that point either. I mean, a lot of, when you think about the, the empty nest crew, a lot of those people move in for the lifestyle for the restaurants, theater, sporting events, just to be to be in Boston and be out and about. But when everything is shut down, there's no reason for any of them to be here. And I think you couple that with the fact that they were fortunate enough to have kids back at home and enjoying being in there in the house where they raised their family again, it delayed that for a lot of people. So it was pretty, it was quiet. It was a little eerie in here at times. So what's trending now? Are, are, are people wanting to move back in downtown? Yeah, I think it, there's a lot of things, I think, that are happening. I mean, as companies are requiring people to be back in the in the office, I think that's helped kind of jumpstart the market a little bit here. So we're seeing more people coming back in. We're seeing empty nesters now come back into the city. The one thing that we may have lost, we may have lost those young families that maybe had one child and a second on the way or two kids and through COVID, they all seem to leave and head to the suburbs, maybe, you know, accelerate that timetable by a few years. And so there's a little bit less of that in here now. So I think there are a couple of buildings that were maybe built to cater towards young families that haven't done as well as they probably should have had the uh, pandemic not hit. But it's starting to get going again. I mean, development is still strong here. In the last five years, I mean, we've seen a Four Seasons tower go up. So now Boston, I think, is one of eight cities in the world with two Four Seasons. Raffles Hotel, they've got a big residential project going in the back bay here. St. Regis is doing one in the seaport. So there's a lot going on. Things haven't really seemed to, to slow down. It's just a matter of getting back to more of a sense of normalcy here. And, and I think we'll start to move again. Yeah, we had the same thing in New York in terms of the young families moving out to the suburbs. And what's driving New York now is the young professionals and empty nesters or people with part-time residences in New York. But that core sort of young family, they've just relocated to the burbs and, and they're not coming back right now. You know? Right, right. I yeah. mean, I think this was one typically... You know, when you go into down markets, the cities usually typically would see the, the the suburban market starts to slow first and then the city slows. I mean, but 
with COVID, the suburbs were humming because everyone was going out there and there was no inventory. And then in the city was kind of, it was the reverse right. this time around. But like I said, over the past 60 days, we've seen a pretty substantial pickup. And I think part of that are less flexibility to work from home or some requirements or, you know, whether it's three or four days in the office. So we've seen some of the more young professionals coming back in and getting back to normal. Yeah, it seems the new work week is uh, Tuesday Ah. through Thursday. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But again, that's driving people to the office. And then your core business sectors in cities are seeing activity now. And then People naturally want to be closer to work and then other things open up. And so that energy comes back. Yeah, that's a a good way to describe it. I mean, the energy, you're starting to see the energy come back into the city. I'd say, you know, our financial district is still pretty slow. There's just more flexibility and with a lot of the companies that occupied office space there. But back base, it's always pretty vibrant. You know, you see people up and down the street every day. So you do have that sense of normalcy. You see that increasing, I think, month over month. So so in Boston proper, where does luxury start in terms of price point with a condo and then with, say, uh, you know, like a townhouse, brownstone in the back bay? Yeah, so in, in, in the back bay, I mean, look, the, the back bay is quintessential Boston, right? Like that's what people think of when they think of Boston. It's brownstones, nice tree-lined streets, quiet neighborhoods. You can still get into a one-bedroom for probably 1,000 to 1,200 a foot, depending on the level of finish in there. But I'd say, you know, for absolute dollars, you're probably spending somewhere around a million or more. You know, in the townhome market, I think it's really escalated in the past few years. There's been an increasing number of people looking for that style of living. And the numbers on things that are move-in ready have just, they've gone through the roof. I mean, we had a not even a full townhome, but a fairly large condo that we had for close to $20 million and sold it in two or three months and had probably 10 to 15 groups through. So that buyer pool has grown here in Boston. I know you guys are probably used to that, but it, it always hasn't been that way here. Yeah. And I could see in like a post-COVID world, what's attractive about a townhouse brownstone, you're getting square footage, you're getting private outdoor space. And I could see how that's attractive. But people always want to be in, you know, downsizers and young professionals, I think, will always want to be in condos for yeah. the most yeah, part. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that in-town place or, you know, you've got your young professionals that are spending a ton of hours in the office that want to be in the city or even your, your young single professionals. I mean, that's, you're in, you're in town. That's where you meet people. That's where you network. And even if you're trying to change professions, I mean, I think there's always a benefit to being in Boston. You, you know, you never know who you're going to run into and it's a major city, but if you look at the size of it compared to New York, it feels like a, a small town. No, it does. It's a nice change when I visit Boston coming from New York and it, it just feels like a, a small a small town, like you said, friendly people, and it's a very walkable city. It is a walkable city. I mean, you get into certain parts of the Back Bay, Beacon Hill, where you're basically 10 to 15 minute walk from any other neighborhood in Boston proper, which is really nice luxury to have. Yeah. People will still, you know, they'll have cars, but you don't really need it. 
Right. You know? Right. Or no, at least when the weather's nice. Right. It's true. So inventory still tight, still bidding wars or multiple <laughs> buyers coming out of property. You know, I, I think it, it depends on the price points. I think there's there's certain pockets where inventory's certainly tight and you know things that come on that are move in ready in the right location there are multiple buyers out there but those those scenarios seem to be happening a little bit less especially as we go into the fall market now things typically slow down with the seasonality of the business but yeah i mean we we are still running into it for the for the right unit you know there's cer- yeah. there's certain areas i mean when you think about boston i mean the neighborhoods are really tight. And then you have the historical component of all the neighborhoods. So what's here and, and existing now is what's going to be here, you know, at least I'd say for my lifetime. And so you don't have the option to knock down a couple of brownstones and put up a big high rise. And so it's whether or not, depending on the neighborhood you want to be in, it's a fairly limited supply to begin with. Yeah, I could see that. So let's transition into your business. Why don't you take our listeners through how you operate your team and the business you guys have been doing and how you run the business. Sure. So we do, outside of just the general brokerage with the condo and the townhome sales here, we do a lot of new development as well. So right now we've got a 62-unit building in Beacon Hill that we're selling. We've got another 25-unit project just outside of the city, kind of in the, in the South Shore that we're handling. You know, we just finished up another 100 units kind of in South Boston and in the seaport. So we do we do do a lot on that side of the business. And we'll have people that will work with me in terms of the on-site sales there. So I'm kind of overseeing what's going on in the marketplace. And, and we'll be involved in the pricing and the marketing and advertising that we're doing. And just generally what the temperature of each market is. And, and I'll communicate that to all of our clients and, and developer clients. But yeah, we've got seven people that are on site right now. I've got kind of a my right hand who I would say is my assistant, but more is involved in a lot more than that, it has a marketing background. So has a big say in what we're doing in, in terms of our, our marketing and advertising. Work with another person who we were able to pull from the Compass team here that worked on the marketing side. So she'll oversee everything that she's doing. And then we've got a couple buyers, agents, and two or three people that will work with me on our listings here in town. Wow. So you have a pretty big team and you're able to cover a lot of different geographies and types of real estate. We are. Yeah. I mean, I we moved probably about the time that I'm uh, we right around the time that I moved to Compass, probably end of 15, we moved to the South Shore, only 15 miles south of, the, of Boston, which during COVID took me about 20 minutes. And now it's back to about an hour and 20 minutes. But, wow. So we've started to do some some work down in, in that area as well. So it's been good. So I've got skin in the game in the market down there and a pretty sizable network down there now, too. So we've started to do some business there as well. So uh, from a competitive standpoint, how do you and your team, how do you differentiate in the marketplace? Well, I think, you know, A, we we do work hard. We show up, which I feel like that is half the battle. But I think everybody that's come in here has come in and, and they've been a good fit for the team. And that's a big thing with us is just the overall chemistry within the office and within the team and Everybody that we've that I've brought on, I think, 
probably share the the same kind of goals and aspirations in terms of continually trying to get better, working hard, doing the right things, treating people well. And that's been the fabric of our business. I mean, that's what we built the business on. And, and the majority of what we do in terms of the, the general brokerage and the, the buy-sell side, that's it's referral-based, which I think is uh, it's a testament to, to the team and how they're servicing things and uh, how they're communicating with the clients and, and how well they know each market. Yeah, yeah, you're doing something right because you did a lot of a lot of business last year, and I'm sure you're doing a lot of business this year. You know, you're doing a lot of new development as well, so you ha- you definitely have a strong pipeline of transactions coming your way. Yeah, I mean, we're just you know we're we're trying to think of now. I mean, I, I think is a time where you've got to be a little bit more creative and and think outside the box and try to get creative in terms of how you're going to attract people where it's not as easy as just. You know, we're in that market where you could put anything on the market and you, you you may end up with two or three offers in the first couple days, if not hours at times. So, you know, I think that's where we're trying to get creative with some of the technology that we're using and, and how we're communicating with clients or better communicating with, with our clients. And yeah, I think that's where a lot of people fall down. I mean, we had this conversation this morning. It's like, you get into these markets and you're not always delivering good news, right? right. Um, but I think that communication still needs to happen and, and you've got to get good at delivering bad news with hopefully still being able to come out of it with a, with a positive outcome. Yeah, sometimes the market just shifts under your feet and you have to face the reality. And like in in New York and our team does business in Greenwich as well. And we've been recalibrating everything and we've been taking prices down on our listings and having those difficult conversations with our sellers, but you can't avoid it. You can't you can't hide from it. You have to face it head on and you have to adjust and yeah, you know. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I and I think, you know, in some ways that's what differentiates the really good agents, good brokers from the ones that aren't so good, right? Anyone can make money in, a, in an up market, in a seller's market. But when things get tough, you know, that's where we've been able to go out and pick up market share. Yeah. Um, I think, honestly, just from from communicating with people. And it's not, it's not an email. It's not always an email or a text message. It's having a conversation. I mean, especially when it's people's homes, these are, you know, it's in some in some cases it's the largest investment that they've made and you know when things aren't good they want to talk to somebody and they want to know what's going on and they want to know what they need to do to kind of move on to the next chapter yeah no if you give good guidance and can help someone navigate you know a tricky market they'll not only be a customer for life they'll refer everybody to you <laughs> so yeah you know and that's what that i think is where where we do excel in, in some respects because that's, I'm a big phone guy. So, you know, I don't like to negotiate deals over tech messages. I like to talk to people and, you know, you take all the tone out of it. And and that's when you can really problem solve and, and keep things together or put things together and, and continually, you know, figuring out how to work through challenges. Yeah, no, that's a good point. 
Some people in this business are just purely transaction-driven, and they might even prefer text and email, and the relationship people definitely want to speak with the clients, speak with the broker on the other side of the table, and, and really cultivate relationships while you're doing business, because that'll yeah. to, right, lead to more business. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, that's what the, the business really is. It's it's relationships. Yeah. I think in some ways, the the internet and all, all these, you know, all these other sites have clouded that to an extent. Yeah. And, so, yeah. And they've also put misinformation out there or data that's not really synthesized or interpreted. And that's sort of dangerous. And sometimes clients have a totally different perspective on things based on the way data appears on the internet. <laughs> you know? Right. 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 And, and you, you've got to have that intimate market knowledge to know the difference between, I mean, some, you know, especially here in Boston, I mean, to go two streets over sometimes is a world of difference. Yes. And so the, that data isn't always re- reflected in what people are seeing when they're looking online. Agreed. Agreed. So let's transition to our last segment of this podcast is the lifestyle and, and being born and bred in, in Boston. I think you can give our listeners a really good overview of sort of the various sort of lifestyle components in, in the Boston area. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, look, but like you said, Boston is a very... It's a very manageable city. There's there's a lot to do when you're here. There's a lot of great restaurants. Obviously, we've you know we've had a great run with our our sports here between the Red Sox, the Bruins, the Celtics, the Patriots. I mean, we've had a we've had a good run over the last 15 years. So you know, there's always sporting events here. We've got plenty of great local universities that are here. But you know, I think in terms of lifestyle and living in Boston, you have access to things in all seasons. In the summertime, you've got people that are going down to the Cape or Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard. In the winter, you got you can head up to New Hampshire, Maine, Vermont to ski. I mean, this time of the year, even in the fall, heading up north, I mean, there's great foliage up there, and the, you, you've got access to all sorts of different lifestyles within a couple hours of Boston, which I think is is a it's a big selling point to a lot of people. Now. If you don't like the cold, it may not be the best place for you. But outside of the the weather, it's a great place to live. Yeah, it's it's good the way you put it. It's not only what you can do in the city, but what's accessible within striking distance outside of the city lends itself to like the overall lifestyle of why someone might want to be there. You know, totally. Yeah, and you, you've got people that come here for different reasons. I mean, obviously, we've got great universities that are in and around Boston. It's also great private high schools that are throughout Massachusetts, New Hampshire. So there's a lot of attraction. We see people come in for that. There's just a lot of things locally, you know, the, the hospitals that are here. You've got some of the best hospitals in the world. So that, that's that been a driver. And then, you know, now there's been a big push in biotech and lab space here, which bring people in from different parts of the world. So it's been fun watching the city really change and and to kind of be here and be a part of it. It's been really exciting. Yeah, no, it's, it, it really has grown and, and is far more dynamic. And it's a convenient place to get to. It's a convenient place to spend time. Again, I think the people are very welcoming in that, in that town. And it's all part of sort of the walkability. This is coming from a New York sports fan, too. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I would... I would think you'd probably run into some people here that maybe would wouldn't agree with 
with uh, how um, that that haven't had the same experience with all the people here, and, and maybe at times would 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 say it's not a quite quite as friendly as you found it. But I'm glad I'm glad everyone's treated you well. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I'd wear a Yankees hat in Fenway though. So. No, no. <laughs> That's a same though going into Yankee Stadium. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, kind of as we wrap up, Kevin, you've done a tremendous job of transitioning, you know, as a professional athlete into into real estate and into the luxury market and running running a big business. And you know, there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are young, they're new to the business, they aspire to get into luxury, like like everybody and like what advice would you give someone that really wants to sort of break into the luxury market yeah i think knowing what's going on in in the luxury market is is a big piece of it and being able to demonstrate that to your clients that's kind of what helped especially with some of the new you know the new development the construction that that was going on knowing what was going on knowing where the pricing was knowing where the most recent transactions were and really getting a an understanding of where the opportunity was in the market, maybe where there were some holes in the market, and being able to articulate that to your client base, I think, is great because you grow. I think ultimately, you know, as you start to get into the business you're doing, depending on the age, you know, like I, I was just fortunate enough to get into it, and it's the only industry that I've been in. So, with a lot of the clients that I had, I grew as they grew and we would continue to do transactions and then, you know, we'd do three or four transactions and then they'd move to the suburbs and we'd need their help or refer that that, that piece of business out and, and put them with other people in the network that we're able to, that we trust in, right? That, that, that are going to be able to treat your client the way that you would treat them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Agreed. And so I, I, I think it's tough just to go out and say, hey, I want to get in the luxury side of the business. I think you've got to know it. You've got to start to do some business there. And you, know, you build on every deal. Yeah. And yeah. So I think that's something that we've done a, a good job with. And it's like I said, I mean, you have a good experience with somebody and you know that they went above and beyond with how they handled the transaction. To your point earlier, I mean, that's what leads to referrals, right? And then you get so-and-so and you you get into you know you get into a company and all of a sudden you look back six months later and you've done six deals with six different people in that company because everybody's had a good experience with you you know so i think it's just continually working hard for people and, and always doing the right thing yeah no it's, it's you know on some levels it's simple it's not too complicated it's not and it's not it's also you know if you're going to build a career out of this it's always the long game. It's not, no transaction is the last transaction. And I think, you know, in this business, it's sometimes the best thing to do is, you know, the, you, you're always going to run into that transaction with where there's a little bit of animosity. And, you know, I think taking the high road and, and looking at it big picture is, is a better, is, is probably the best approach. Yeah, well said. So, uh, well, I appreciate your time and thanks for being on Luxury on Location. Thanks for being part of the private client network. We really value you as a, as a partner and our Boston representative. So it's been great to talk to you and I hope to see you in, in Atlanta. Yeah, well, I will be there. We'll be there. I'm looking forward to it. It's always a great time of the year to get, get, get out and connect with people and look forward to seeing you there. Perfect. Excellent. All right, Kevin, we'll take care. All right. 
Thanks, Kev. Thanks. A sincere thank you to Kevin Caulfield for being our featured guest on our fifth episode of the second season of Luxury on Location. That was an inspiring conversation, which we sincerely hope our listeners enjoyed. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. We understand there are a multitude of podcasts out there, so we appreciate that you chose Luxury on Location for your listening pleasure. We hope to see you back for our next episode when Kevin Snedden will be speaking with another one of our private client network partners and discussing their luxury market. You can find us at theprivateclientnetwork.com or on Instagram at privateclientnetwork. Until next time. Thank you.